Good morning. It is a joy to, to be here. Uh, very encouraged by the brethren and visitors here by this time that we're able to spend together uh, focusing on the God who made us, who has offered us salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and now to turn towards his word, I invite you to open up your Bibles with me as, as we study together today. A few weeks ago, we asked the question, is false doctrine really that big of a deal? Um, you know, some, some that are hyper-focused on combating false doctrine can become very negative, very prideful, uh, very judgmental in their teaching, even to the point that they neglect the positive message of the gospel itself. It's possible that we could become so focused on combating the darkness that we forget to actually shine the light. Um, and so we don't want to develop that kind of heart or take that kind of approach. But at the same time, neither do we want to neglect or ignore what the Bible has to say about false doctrine, uh, to belittle the serious danger it poses uh, to God's people. So we tried to just kind of work from the ground up and try to develop a completely biblical view of what false doctrine is, how we should view it, how we should handle it. Uh, and the first thing that, that we were struck by in that study is how much the New Testament has to say about it. In fact, as I went through the New Testament, uh, according to, to my uh, count, 23 out of the 27 New Testament books make some direct reference to some false teaching, some false idea that needed to be uh, corrected, uh, some false prophets, prophets uh, or false apostles. And so we, we see this clearly is a pretty big deal uh, based on how much the Bible talks about it. Uh, and so we ask the question, what is false doctrine? Um, when we hear the word false doctrine, what do we think about? And is that what the Bible is talking about when it, it uses that terminology? And we saw that the Bible talks about false doctrine in two primary categories. Uh, very evenly, in fact, it talks about false doctrine in the category of binding where God has not bound. Very often uh, setting up laws, perhaps coming from the, the old law or Jewish practice um, that, that God did not designate. So binding where God has not bound or loosing where God has bound, turning the grace of God into licentiousness. Um, Presuming upon God's judgment or presuming upon his mercy, inserting our own permissions or inserting our own prohibitions into God's word. Uh, but today I want to take this a little bit further, uh, understanding what the Bible is talking about when it talks about false doctrine. And I, I want us to ask the question, where does false doctrine come from and how do we properly guard against it? Um, so where does false doctrine come from? As we look at the scriptures, what, what, what is the, the source of this problem uh, as it arises among God's people? Well, first of all, it is based on human speculation rather than divine revelation. Uh, look, look at this passage that Jared just read for us in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and notice what's said there in verse 3 and 4. It says, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by 
faith. Do you see the contrast that Paul is making here as he talks about these strange doctrines, the doctrines of Christ? There's a contrast between that which is uh, building God's people up on a foundation of faith and that which is grounded in mere speculation. Um, one pr- promotes uh, a, a trust in what God has revealed and what God has said. The other promotes speculation, building upon unanswered questions, taking a stand on things that haven't been revealed. Romans ten seventeen tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. False doctrine, on the other hand, comes by speculation or presuming and presuming from the heart of man. False doctrine is not content to rest upon what God has said, but takes a great interest in hidden meetings, reading between the lines, drawing out ideas that are not evident within the text of scripture, um, and rests upon human assumptions uh, more than they do upon God's revelation. We see the same thing in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 23 Paul tells Timothy there, again in the second letter, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. God's revelation is intended to bring unity. And certainly it gives us truth. Uh, Speculation, on the other hand, brings quarrels and controversy, false teaching and division. And, And this is why we need to be so adamant about speaking where the Bible speaks and being silent where the Bible is silent. Because when we go beyond that, uh, we, we're, we're going to stray beyond the truth. We're going to stray beyond the unity that God has designed within his body. Um, anything beyond that is going to draw us away from the Lord. And we, we need to make it clear. It's, it's not that outside sources can never help us in our understanding of the word. Um, commentaries, lexicons, historical documents, sermons. (laughs) But those things are only valuable to the extent that they point us back to God's word. To the extent that they help us better understand what it is that God has, in fact, revealed to us. Because God's word is the only foundation for truth. The only foundation for faith. The only foundation for unity. Look look with me in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 8 here. Here Paul warns these brethren, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. You see the contrast there again? There's that which is according to Christ, and that which is according to men. Uh, now, maybe that, that's come through philosophy, the pursuit of wisdom in the absence of divine revelation. Maybe, maybe that's man-made traditions, that which is simply culturally or historically accepted. Or the rudimentary principles of the world, common sense, that which makes sense uh, to us, which seems right and logical to the human Mind. And now, it's not that we throw out all logic, that we throw out all, all wisdom, that we throw out all tradition even. Uh, but we need to recognize that those things are only valuable insofar as they are built upon the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, tradition that's built upon God's word is tradition that we need to hold to, that we need to hold fast to. Wisdom that, that comes forth from God's word 
common sense that's properly applied to what God has revealed to us is valuable. But those things within themselves, human wisdom, human common sense, uh, human tradition is not going to find truth, is not going to find God's will on its own. Unless it is pointing us back to God's word, unless it is pointing us to revelation. Um, Look later in this passage, Colossians 2, verse 18 and 19. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. We need to hold fast to the head. We need the growth that comes from God. Here you see that contrasted in verse 18 with the one who is taking a stand uh, the New American Standard says, on visions he has seen. There's a textual variant uh, in the King James and New King James that inserts the word not there. Uh, but most versions are, are going to say here that he's taking a stand on things he has seen. He's walking by sight and not by faith, right? That, and, and you see this even as we go down to verse 23. It says, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. It appears, to, to our eyes, it appears like this is something good and this is something right and this is something valuable uh, and commendable. But we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We walk by revelation of God, God's word. Uh, And so we need to make sure, if we want to to guard against false doctrine, we need to recognize where it's coming from. It comes from that which appears good and right and true and valuable to to our eyes. But what that ends up being is self-made religion. And it sure looks good to us, because that's where it came from, right? There's just one problem. It's not holding fast to Jesus Christ. It's not according to his will and his design. And so that's the contrast here. Are we going to hold fast to the head? Are we going to do that which is according to Christ? Or are we going to follow that which makes sense to us? Um, whether based on our past experience, tradition, whether based on, uh, you know, f- philosophy or, or the elementary principles of the world, um, we need to make sure that this is not self-made religion. Because self-made religion is not God-glorifying religion. And along with coming from human speculation, human ideas and reasoning, false teaching is driven by human priorities and not by divine approval. I I want you to notice in Luke chapter 6 and verse 26, Jesus says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. You know, false teaching is going to appear good and right and commendable to the world around us. It's going to, in fact, be a lot more popular and successful than the way of truth is to a worldly mindset. And that shouldn't surprise us because it gives man what man finds valuable, what man finds exciting and impactful. But 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 We're told, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Again, it's self-made religion. By what we find commendable, by what we find valuable. 
I, I want you to notice that phrase in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3. It says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I, I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to endure sound doctrine? When it's unimpressive to the world around you, will you endure? When others accuse you of being judgmental and closed-minded, will you endure? When it doesn't seem as effective or successful as self-made religion, when it leaves you dissatisfied and discouraged because being part of a persecuted remnant alongside broken and struggling people isn't as exciting as what the false teachers have to offer, will you endure? We're told there, there will be those who won't endure sound doctrine. Because it's not always going to give us what it is that, that we think we want, right? But if what we're looking for is anything other than being pleasing in God's sight, no matter the cost, no matter the discouragement or the difficulty, then sound doctrine is not going to be something that we want to endure. Romans 16, verse 17 and 18 Romans 16, 17, and 18, here Paul writes, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances according to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them, for such men are slaves, not of the Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. See how many times this is stressed in passages about false teaching? It's coming from our own values, our own priorities, our own desires and appetites. And it, and we've been told in these other passages that we looked at last time that the false teachers are going to appear to be servants of Christ, right? That's how Satan works. It's going to look, they're going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. But Paul is telling us, don't be deceived. They're not servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what is driving this. It's their own desires and priorities that have become the standard. Jude, um, again, addresses this idea, Jude 1 and verse 16. After talking extensively about this danger of false teachers, Jude says, these are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. You know, those who don't want to endure sound doctrine will find fault with it and will grumble about it. Why? Well, because it's not giving them what it is that they, they desire. It doesn't look as good by worldly standards. It's uh, leaving them unfulfilled. They'll speak well of the false prophets, right? Flattering those who are building on a foundation other than God's word because they align with earthly priorities. But those who endure sound doctrine, refusing to go beyond what God has revealed, well, they're the problem. They're holding us back. You know, maybe it's their refusal to draw lines that God hasn't drawn that is endangering the flock and making us look liberal. Or, or maybe it's their refusal to act in areas beyond what God has revealed is holding us back and making us a despised remnant when we could be a much more impactful and influential force for good if we just accommodated a little bit more to the culture around us. Whatever it is, when we allow our own perception, our own ideas, our, our, our own desires for, for what it is that we're, we find, uh, you know, most impactful and fulfilling to be the standard, well, then, then God's word is just kind of holding us back a little bit. 
Is that our attitude? Well, how do we know if we're guilty of that or not? How do we know if the desires driving us are truly God-centered desires or self-centered desires, measuring by earthly priorities or by heavenly priorities? How do we guard against false doctrine? First and foremost, we need to keep God's revealed will as our foundation in all we teach and in all we practice. Not human tradition. Uh, not our own perception of what's value. What, what does God say? Everything we do needs to come back to this question. What does God's word say? Every argument we make, every standard we measure by, every longing we allow to persist within our hearts needs to come back to this question. Not what aligns with my perception of what's important and valuable and effective, exciting, or impressive. What does God say? Because it's only through revelation. It's only through God's word that faith comes. And that's where I need to be building my my life and my service to the Lord. Look look with me in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians, from the very beginning, is a book uh, about false teaching here on the side of a binding where God has not bound. Uh, Some Jewish influences here that Paul is addressing. Um, But look in Galatians 1, starting in verse 10. Paul says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Look a little farther down in verse 15. He says, but when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. What what is Paul emphasizing here? Saying, is is this about pleasing men? Is this about, uh, you know, doing what what is acceptable to the Jewish culture around us? No, if, if that was my priority, I wouldn't be a servant of the Lord. And I want you to know that the teaching that I am bringing you is not coming from man. I did not consult with flesh and blood. I didn't even go up and talk to the apostles. (laughs) This is directly from Jesus Christ. Why why is Paul so adamant about making that point? Because if this did come from man, if if this, you know, even was kind of lost in translation uh, from from Jesus to the apostles and then to Paul, and Paul just kind of misunderstood some of the things, well, well then, then it's not the truth, then it's not the gospel, then it's not pleasing to the Lord. Paul is emphasizing it is from Jesus Christ. That's how you can know this is true. This is how you can know this is the gospel and not something else. I, I want to make something abundantly clear. This church does not teach Church of Christ doctrine. This church teaches Christ's doctrine. I am not a Church of Christ preacher. I am a preacher of Christ. And and I'm aware that there are many local churches that use the name Church of Christ, and most who do would aim to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. 
But brotherhood consensus must never be the measure by which we decide what is preached from this pulpit. That's not the measure of truth. What we're striving to be, the the reason we even use a name like Church of Christ is because we want to be a church that belongs to Christ. Because we want his teaching. We want his truth. That's the standard. So the question we need to ask is not, what does the Church of Christ teach about this? The question is, what does Christ teach about this? And let's make sure that we're, we're a church that teaches that. Even the teachings and practices of the apostles were only valuable to the extent that they were by revelation and inspiration of Jesus Christ. You know, that, that's why Paul is saying, I didn't even talk to the apostles. I, you know, well, aren't, aren't the apostles from the Lord? Yes, but Paul's trying to make it very clear. I, I, it's not even that this was lost in translation somehow. You can know this is directly from Jesus Christ. And that's where we need to ground our teaching. When when false teaching is a problem, like in Galatians, what do we do? We go back to Jesus Christ. We go back to what what has he said. That's our focus. Look look later in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse 7 and 8. Verse 7, Paul says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. Where does this persuasion come from? I, I think that's a question we need to constantly be asking ourselves about any teaching that we encounter. Is this truly coming from the Lord? Or is there some other influence, some other experience, some other desire that is driving uh, this, is the driving force behind this teaching? Brethren, if my starting place in reaching a conclusion is anywhere other than God's word, then my destination is going to be somewhere other than God's will. Let me say that again. If my starting place in reaching conclusion is anywhere other than God's word, then my destination is going to be somewhere other than God's will. The only way I know for sure what is true and what is right and what is good is for God to tell me. But if I go to God's word with my own ideas and priorities as the starting place um, and somehow use that as the litmus test or filter of truth, then I'm never going to see God's word properly. I'm going to hear what I want to hear and filter out the things that don't quite align with my way of thinking. We can't do that. And, and I think we need to recognize we, we all come to God's word with, with biases, with experiences, uh, you know, with, with ways of thinking. But we, we need to do our utmost to check those at the door, to open up our hearts and say, okay, what, what does God's word say? That's what I want. Because then and only then do I know that I'm pleasing the Lord, that I'm doing his will. I put a lot of other scriptures up on the screen. For time's sake, we're going to skip over 1 Thessalonians and 2 Peter. You feel free to write that down in your notes to go back and look at it. Uh, But let's go ahead and look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, verse 13. Uh, Again, an epistle that is very much in the context uh, of addressing false teaching. In verse 13, uh, 
Paul says to Timothy, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Here Paul says, you know, de- deceivers, imposters are going to proceed from bad to worse. He says there in chapter four uh, that they're not going to endure sound doctrine. They're going to find teachers that will tell them what it is that is accordance and aligning with their priorities and desires. So what's Timothy supposed to do? But as for you, continue in the things that you've learned and been convinced of. And, And where does Paul point his focus? It says, you've known the sacred writings from when you're young and it's able to bring you salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. You combine those two together, you get all scripture is inspired by God. Go back to God's mouth. Go back to God's word. That's what's able to make you complete. And so what does he need to do in chapter four and verse two? Preach the word. In season, out of season, when when, uh, it is, you know, uh, aligning with people's desires, when it's not, when it's what you want to hear, when it's not what you want to hear, when it's well-received, when it's not well-received, when it's rejected and ridiculed, you preach the word. That's the only way that we know what God's will is. That's the only way we know God's heart. And that's what we want. We want to be pleasing to him. We want to glorify him. And so what are we going to do? We're going to go back to the word. What did God say? That's the question. That's the question that has to be the foundation for everything that we teach, everything that we do. Second John chapter one uh, only has one chapter, but second John. um, Look what John says here in verse seven through nine. Similar context. Verse 7 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver in the Antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. What's the solution? How do we guard against the many deceptive influences of the religious world around us? We abide in the teaching of Christ. That's where we can know that we're doing God's will and that we're in fellowship with him. Nowhere else. We avoid speculation. We don't presume upon God's judgment. We don't presume upon his mercy. We don't add to, we don't take from. We speak where the Bible speaks. We be silent where the Bible is silent. We ground ourselves 
we ground everything we teach and practice in God's word and nowhere else. And as we do that, we need to be careful to eliminate influences from our lives that would point us in any other direction. I want you to continue reading here in 2 John. Look what he goes on to say, starting in verse 10. As he's talking about those who aren't abiding in the teaching of Christ, those who are encouraging us to go beyond the teaching of Christ, he says in verse 10, For if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. And do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. How does John instruct them to handle false teachers? Don't let them set foot in your house. Don't give them a welcome or a blessing, lest you in some way support the influence that they're having on others. You might think, well, John, that that seems a little bit extreme, don't you think? I mean, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't Jesus say, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Shouldn't we give a greeting? Shouldn't we show love and welcome those who come from different religious backgrounds and have different ideas about spiritual things? God says, if someone is teaching things that are encouraging you to depart from the doctrine of Christ, don't have fellowship with them. Don't tolerate it. Don't support it. Don't welcome it into your home. Don't allow it to influence you in any way. Stand firm against it. Yes, we should reach out in love to the lost sheep in the religious world around us. We should be humble in our pursuit of the truth, recognizing that we don't have all the answers. We don't know everything. But if someone is encouraging us to stray beyond the doctrine of Christ, if we know that that's, that's where this is coming from, this is not coming from God's word, this is somebody who's encouraging us to go beyond the doctrine of Christ, we need to pull that influence out of our lives at the root. Wolves in sheep's clothing are often a lot more dangerous than wolves in wolves' clothing. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 and 34. This is where we see Paul say, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Have you? Are you familiar with that verse? Bad company corrupts good morals. Don't be deceived. You know, most of the time when I heard that verse growing up, my mind immediately went to things like, you know, being around people that that smoke and do drugs and and drink and and use foul language. I I think that's that's legitimate. but, But the original context of 1 Corinthians 15, do you know what he's talking about? False teachers. In context, he's talking about those who are claiming that there's no resurrection. How do we need to handle false teaching? We need to remove its influence from our lives. We need to keep our distance, avoid relationships that would pull us in that direction. Think about Galatians 5. We we read earlier Galatians 5, verse 7 uh, through 9, where he says... uh, You were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Do you know what the next verse says? Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. What's the solution? Remove the influence from your life. Keep it out of your home. Keep it out of the church. Keep it out of your heart. 
You might say, well, uh, okay, but but is it really that big of a deal, right? You know, a little exposure to false teaching, alternative perspectives and ideas, you know, a, a little exposure is, is probably a healthy thing, right? It helps you keep an open mind as long as you don't go overboard with it. You notice God doesn't say too much leaven leavens the lump. So only expose yourself to it in moderation. Does a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Any persuasion that, that is clearly not from the Lord, any persuasion that is not pointing us back to God and his word that we recognize is not grounded in the revelation of Jesus Christ needs to be purged out to the very smallest speck, to the very last drop. That's God's solution. Look, look in 2 Timothy with me uh, again. 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 16. It says, But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. How does Paul picture false doctrine here? He says it's like gangrene. I thought about putting some pictures of gangrene up on the screen, um, but after I became slightly sick to my stomach, I decided against it. <laughs> um, it is gruesome. It's disgusting. And it is deadly. Uh, if left un unchecked, it, it can kill you quickly. Often amputation is the only viable solution. And what was it that was so dangerous that Paul describes it as, as gangrene? It was the idea that the resurrection had already taken place. You know, we, we might say, oh, okay, well, I thought it was something really bad. You know, I, I thought it was something like sexual immorality or idolatry. Uh, it's just a little misunderstanding about the resurrection. No, ideas have consequences. Paul says this idea will lead to further ungodliness. Because this persuasion doesn't come from the Lord because it's coming from somewhere else and it's denying what it is that God has clearly revealed to us. It's going to spread and it's going to have a much bigger effect than it seems it's going to on the surface. Ideas have consequences. And if it's a persuasion that comes from somewhere besides the Lord, we can be certain it will lead us away from the Lord. The Bible does not treat false teaching lightly, and neither should we. When we open ourselves up to all the influences that the religious world at large has to throw at us, when we start being allured by what the denominations and megachurches have to offer us, even where it is not being built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and the revelation of his word, it's going to kill us spiritually. Bad companionships corrupt good morals. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Gangrene must be amputated. Don't let it set foot in your house. Don't give it a greeting. Don't give it a blessing. That's the counsel of divine wisdom when it comes to false teaching. But let's make one more point that I think is important. And in fact, we'll, we'll talk more uh, about some things along these lines in a later lesson. Don't allow fear 
to compromise your sincere pursuit of truth or keep you from showing love and mercy towards those in error. As serious as false teaching is, and, and we need to view it the way that the Bible tells us to view it. We need to handle it the way that the Bible tells us to handle it. Um, as serious as the biblical warnings are against false teaching, there is a need for balance here. For humility about our own understanding of the truth. For forbearance, gentleness, and love as we are still growing in our own pursuit of God's will. In two weeks, uh, I hope to address the question, when must doctrine divide us? Um, and take a closer look at some of the concepts of, of Romans 14 and see that very often uh, doctrine should not divide us. It's something that we need to, to grow through, that we need to talk through, that we need to be continuing to, to build each other up and, and, and uh, help one another in our pursuit of truth. Gangrene is not best treated with a machete or a chainsaw, <laughs> but with the tender and cautious hand of a surgeon. James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, talk, contrasts wisdom that is earthly and, and demonic with wisdom that is from above. Wisdom that is earthly uh, leads to bitterness and jealousy, arrogance, uh, hurtfulness. But in James 3, we're told, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, or some versions say open to reason or willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. The truth does not fear investigation. It's not that we should simply shut up our ears anytime anyone says anything different from what we currently believe to be the truth, right? That's not healthy. That's not going to help us in our pursuit of truth. But we must have an unwavering commitment to the foundation of God's word. And the only reason that we should be open to is that which is grounding us more deeply in the truths we have found in Jesus Christ. With his revelation and his word. Any persuasion that comes from somewhere else is leaven that needs to be purged out. So yes, we need to be open to reason. We need to be willing to yield, willing to change the way that we think about things. But where that needs to come from is a commitment to God's word and God's will. Nowhere else. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2. As much as Paul instructs Timothy and warns him about the dangers of false teaching, notice the attitude and approach he encourages Timothy to take towards those who are opposing sound doctrine. Look in verse 23. It says, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach patient when wronged with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. What's the approach that we're supposed to take towards false teaching? You know, we, we just saw biblically, it's, it's very dangerous. It's something that we need to make sure isn't influencing us. Well, how do we handle it though? Paul says, with kindness with patience, with gentleness, of genuine love and concern for the souls that are perpetuating this teaching or being influenced by it. 
And so as much as we do need to recognize the danger the Bible is telling us, we still need to handle it in a way that's consistent with the character of Christ. Look at one last passage together. Jude, um, verse 19 through 23. Jude has a lot to say about those who are changing the, the grace of God into license or licentiousness. But notice at the very end of his letter, what he says about how were to handle these things. Starting in verse 19, it says, These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments polluted by the flesh. How do we need to approach false teaching? It says we need to approach it with mercy. Now, sometimes that mercy is going to mean a gentle and tender approach as people work through doubts and questions. Have mercy on those who are doubting. Sometimes mercy is going to mean snatching them by their coat collars and yanking them out of the fire. And hating even the garments that that are affected by the flesh, tearing off those garments, stamping them under our foot. And yet, it's still motivated by mercy. It's still motivated by a love for that soul. You know, if if Ruby is, is running too close to some bonfire and she's about to fall in, is it unloving for me to grab her by her clothing and yank her away? And that's pretty forceful. That looks pretty violent. No, but that's motivated by love. So we we need wisdom. We need God's wisdom to know when forcefulness may be needed, when rebuke may be needed. But even then, it needs to be motivated by mercy. Motivated by love. Not, Not by arrogance. Not by proving that other people are wrong and we're right. That's not the goal. The goal is doing God's will, for me to do God's will, for you to do God's will, that we can be pleasing to him, that we can be glorifying to him. And the only way we do that is to get rid of any persuasion that's coming from anywhere else besides Jesus Christ. And get back to the word. What did God say? That's what we need. That's what the world around us needs. And in love and mercy, that's what we need to proclaim with all our hearts. We've covered a lot of ground uh, this morning. I appreciate your patience and attention. Is false doctrine really that big of a deal? If we're going to let scriptures be our guide, I hope you can see that the answer couldn't be more obvious. Yes, it's a huge deal. It will cost people their eternal souls. Not because they you know, just had some little misunderstanding and overlooked something uh, in scripture, uh, but because it will encourage people to build their houses on a foundation other than Jesus Christ. Because it will encourage people not to receive the love of the truth so as to be saved, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10. Are you holding fast to the truth of God's word? Or are you allowing other influences to pull at your heart? Persuasions not coming from him who called you. I know I won't always get everything exactly right. Um, But I know someone who is always right. (laughs) And he's the one we need to be listening to. And I pray every time that I get up here, he is who we're listening to.
I want to go to heaven. And I want you to go to heaven. That we can spend an eternity with our Lord who loves us, who created us in his image, who redeemed us by the blood of his son. If there's any way that we can help you in that journey today, feel free to make it known at this time as we stand and sing together.